What is a bully? According to Merriam-Webster, a bully is one who is habitually cruel, insulting, or threatening to others who are weaker, smaller, or in some way, vulnerable. If you ask me, abusers are bullies, and they tend to create a lot of trauma for the people that lie on the other side of their path of cruelty. If you have complex PTSD, chances are a bully was involved in some way or another. Children are inherently small, vulnerable, and sadly, easy targets for bullies. Developing children can be in many ways powerless, especially if the bullies are adults. This week, we will break down the Netflix adaptation of Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical, focusing on childhood trauma and how to revolt against bullies. Hi, I am Raisa, a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. This episode may reference trauma or abuse, and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome to this episode of Hello Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. If you are listening on YouTube, a gentle reminder to hit the like button and subscribe to let me know that this episode was helpful. Quick check-in. I have been feeling tons of overwhelm and also feeling really stuck in a freeze response. The more stuff I have to do, the more I tend to go into the freeze response and I just don't do anything. Also, I've been feeling a lot of grief coming up in waves. It is weird because there are times when I feel a lot better and then I don't. I struggled with the intro for this episode, actually. Usually intros come pretty quickly to me and I usually have like an idea of what I want to say before I start scripting. But this time I really had to sit and think about it before something came to me. Now, a few things before we continue. I want to let you know that I will be performing next month on Saturday, March 9th at 7 p.m. in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. My friend George Robb is performing his latest album, Terpsichore, live at the Ice House. 
I happen to record backup vocals for some of the tracks in the album last year. And this time for the live show, I will be singing backup vocals for all the tracks. I probably am biased when I say this, but it is a really good album and I strongly encourage you to give it a listen. And I will be linking both the album and also how to get your tickets in the show notes. And if you do show up and would like to say hi, please do. I'd love to say hello back. Also, if you are not listening to Patrick Tehan's podcast yet, it is called Our Whole Childhood. He just did an interview with Dr. Ingrid Clayton and wow, that was a good episode. And actually, some of the topics they tackle are similar to the ones that Gabrielle and I discussed in the latest episodes of Hello Trauma Brain. So if you enjoy my conversation with Gabrielle, I think you will really get something out of Patrick's conversation with Dr. Clayton. And I will also link that episode to the show notes. Now, in the spirit of continuing what inadvertently became uh, Childhood Trauma Month, uh, this week, I'm going to be tackling Matilda the Musical. Now, the thing with Matilda is that That story means a lot of things to me. And let me give you a rundown of the evolution of my relationship with Matilda's story first. As a young girl, I watched Matilda, the 1996 film starring Mara Wilson, Danny DeVito, and Rhea Perlman on repeat. I was that kid that would finish the movie on the VHS, rewind it, and restart it a few times in a row. I actually fantasized that I could move things with my head. If I am honest, (laughs) I still do that. And though these days I fantasize that I am in The Mandalorian or in The Umbrella Academy, uh, quite frankly, you can't blame a childhood trauma survivor for having a vivid imagination. And it does help with songwriting. Now, about two years ago, I learned that there was a musical And that's around the time when I learned that the whole Matilda story was based on a book. So I quite frankly didn't realize that back in the 90s when I saw the movie. I thought that was an original idea at the time. Now, I was driving to see this uh, student production of the Matilda musical when I heard uh, Matilda by Harry Styles. Now, Harry's uh, latest album, Harry's House, had just come out and that became the album that I was just driving to. And I remember hearing the song and thinking, well, I wonder if it's related to the actual story. And um, after some minor digging on, on Google, I did find out that in that Harry did say in an interview that it was about someone he knew who was sharing with him like things that happened in their childhood. And um, basically, uh, the long story short was, you know, he realized as he was hearing this person talk about their experiences that the stuff they were saying was not normal. But he focused on listening to the person and and supporting them. And the song, uh, basically, he used the name Matilda based on Roald Dahl's uh, story and um, not using the real name of the person that he knows. But uh, yeah, basically, it's it's, it's really kind of based on it. And and that, that song, which is one of my favorite songs from Harry. Now, around the time when I'm hearing this song and I'm seeing this musical... I had already started going to support groups with other people that uh, were survivors of narcissistic abuse and survivors of childhood trauma. So I was starting to put some of the pieces together 
And I will say, like, going into the musical, uh, even listening to the song, like, it really meant something completely different from what I had experienced growing up watching the movie. Yeah, and a lot of grief still comes up when I listen to that song. Now, imagine we're in a movie and a sped up rewind flashback scene is playing right now and we're going all the way back to mid to late 90s. I'm watching this movie and allow me to give you more information on my experience watching Matilda as a kid. And I was sometimes called Matilda, but it was because I read a lot and was pretty smart. Now, the reality is... Matilda was used as a tool to gaslight me into dismissing the abuse around me. One of my abusers would watch this movie with me. And during the scenes with abuse, they would point out that that was real abuse and not what was happening to me or around me. They would say things like, you are so lucky that you don't have it like Matilda because she was not loved, but you are. See that look. Those are real abusers. Look how awful they are. They would sit there judging these awful people every time the movie replayed. And let me tell you, I watched it a lot. And this person was completely unable to see how awful they were. Let me give you a bit more context. The person saying this happens to be the same person who dislocated my shoulder at a very young age, who constantly would say that I was very difficult too sweet for my own good, and who would rage at me if I did not wear makeup or straighten my hair in public because I would quote-unquote make them look bad to other people. And the tragic part is that I ate it up. I believed them. I trusted their perception more than mine. And for decades, I really believed that I was luckier than Matilda. And I did not know what real abuse was. (sighs) Until recently, when I realized that I was Matilda all along. And if anything, Matilda got luckier than me because she found Miss Honey and she got out a lot sooner than I did. I had to become my own Miss Honey. And I did not get out for a long time. Okay, I'm going to take a moment to sit with that because... Uh, it's, it's hard to say it. And if, if you could only see the freak out I had when I, when I made this realization as I was scripting this episode. Matilda had it better than me. Hmm. I think there is something to typing in a computer while thinking about your trauma. Bilateral stimulation is definitely a thing, and it's it's surprising I made that realization working on this episode. Like, that, that had not come to me before, and yet, yet it came to me now. So, let's dive into Matilda. Now, before I keep going... Um, I feel like I already gave some spoilers, but the, the discussion will have spoilers. So if you have not seen the, the movie or the musical or read the book and you really mind the spoilers, probably want to hit pause and come back when you are ready to listen. 
And if you watch the content or don't mind the spoilers, then you're, you're welcome to continue this journey along with me today. So Netflix's uh, version of Matilda the Musical is visually striking, stunning, it's colorful, it's fun, and yet it is heartbreaking to watch. And it's a hard watch if you're a survivor of childhood trauma. I think it's a hard watch. It can be a hard watch for anyone, but if you are a survivor of childhood trauma, oh, <laughs> you have to be ready to watch this thing. If, if you're already having a rough time, you might want to avoid it. It's, it's, not, it's not a movie to watch if you are trying to lift your spirits. And um, yeah, I, 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 it sucks that that's what I'm saying about the movie. It's, it's a wonderful movie. It's not that I'm not recommending it. It's just... Oh, it's gonna it's gonna trigger it's gonna trigger you if you if you're a survivor of childhood trauma. The movie opens up with a beautiful quote that says, "To change the world, it takes a little genius." Take that in. Now I'm gonna split this discussion based on the characters more than scene by scene, and I want to start off with Matilda, the hero and the the miracle of this story because to me she is such a miracle she really is and that happens to be the song that opens this musical there's a song about um about being a miracle and um oh let me let me tell you two minutes in this stunning beautiful beginning scene i'm like crying two minutes in i'm pulling two minutes in like this and i knew i go in and i had and i i know the story i knew i knew it was gonna break me but I wasn't expecting to be crying that hard two minutes into the film. From the moment Matilda's introduced, like it's it's tragic. It's honestly is so so tragic, and in and in many ways, some of my abusers are not as bad as some of the abusers in Matilda's life, and in some other ways, they might be worse, and in some other ways, they might be the same. That's the thing with the with the childhood trauma stuff. It's so complicated, and it's so easy for us to like start comparing stories with each other and you have to be careful when you're doing that because you can end up gaslighting yourself or or someone else <laughs> might end up gaslighting themselves when they when they play the com the comparison game now matilda represents revolution you know as a young kid quite frankly i feel like she's a lot she was a lot braver than i was matilda's the first person that says no to trunchbull the kid had a rebellious spirit from the get-go. She definitely was not much of a fawner. <laughs> That's when her and I are very different. It, any fight I had in me, uh, it got squished away pretty quickly. Now, with her imagination, that's one thing I really related to. Like, Matilda uses her imagination to cope and to escape her reality constantly. And if you really pay attention to the story she's making, there's elements of what's happening in real life making it into the stories. But in her mind, like everything is like exaggerated and, and fantasized and, and blown into this very elaborate story. There's that scene when she's holding hands with Bruce and then, you know, he gets he gets pulled away from her. And that happens also with the escapologist in her story uh, with him and the wife. She rebels against her parents constantly, too. You know, she's she's doing all these things uh, almost like to to get back at them. And a part of me, I'm not gonna lie, like I was always scared for her. I was like, I, I was always like, don't, 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 don't do it. They're gonna know it's you. They're gonna get back at you. They're gonna retaliate. Like, girl, stay in your room and don't say a peep. 
like that, that that's still there that that instinct to like not you know cause waves in the water and ah it's, it's, it's coming out a little bit even as I'm recording this episode like a part of me is like I'm gonna get in trouble for recording this and I'm gonna try to channel my inner Matilda and just do it anyway and if there is anything this movie absolutely nailed it is what they achieved during the song Quiet. This might be hands down the best portrayal of disassociation in a child that I have seen in a film. And in this scene in particular, uh, Matilda's about to get pretty much torn a whole new world by the Trunchbull. She's the Trunchbull is coming at her yelling and screaming and saying all sorts of ridiculous stuff. And Matilda disassociates. She, her mind goes up to a hot air balloon where everything is quiet. And oh gosh, one of the lines in the song that just like breaks me. It's like, she's like quiet, but not really quiet. And the words they keep forming can't reach me anymore. <sighs> Let me tell you, I, I cried a lot in this movie, but that part just tore me in half. And just, just when you think you can't break anymore, <laughs> comes the musical. It looks beautiful because the scene is beautiful and it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And in many ways, that's exactly what it feels like. You really, you really go somewhere else. You learn to go somewhere else. And I, I think that's part of the reason I have a lot of gaps. Like I, I remember, I, I remember a, a lot of the stuff and yet not everything. And, um, yeah, it's uh, quite a brilliant strategy for a child to, to do that and heartbreaking that a child has to do that at the same time. Another thing Matilda does in the movie is she, she hides how bad things are at home and she doesn't tell Miss Phelps. And this is something kids do. Kids will protect their parents even if they are abusive. It's a protective mechanism. Like Children are really smart. And they know that at the age of five, six, you know, whatever, they, they can't survive on their own. So they, they protect their, their caregivers. It's just, it's very twisted, yet a survival mechanism. And even Matilda, as brave as she is and as much as she's pushing back, like even, even she's doing it, like just take that in. And especially if you're someone who has judged yourself for protecting abusers in the past or for justifying the stuff, I definitely have been there. And um, I almost have to like remind myself like, but I needed to do it to survive then. Now in this movie, Matilda gets to do something that a lot of childhood trauma survivors don't get to do when they're young. And some don't even get to do when they're adults. Uh, Matilda gets the opportunity to live with Miss Honey. She she gets the opportunity to have a new chosen family um, still as a kid. And she gets to call out the parents' wrong behavior. And she she becomes empowered in the movie. And in the movie, you know, she's she's got these she's got these actual supernatural powers like moving things with your mind and and the ability to like see Mrs. Honey's story even though she didn't know it was her or she didn't know like it's like all these are like very like supernatural um things that are happening in the movie but quite frankly to me like that's not really the biggest superpower Matilda has I think her biggest superpower is her ability to push back on on bullies and the her courage to 
not only call them out on their behavior, but inspire the people around her to push back on them too. Moving on to other people, other characters in the movie. Let's go to Harry. And I, I think it's so ironic. Like Harry Styles wrote the song Matilda in here. Like the father is called Harry. Oh my goodness. Uh, let's, let's start with the, the gender thing. Harry wanted a boy. He preferred the boy instead of the girl. You know, the twisted thing is like, uh, he's constantly telling that to the girl. He's constantly telling Matilda that like, Matilda does not need to know that. Yet that message is constantly in her face. If there is anything that man says that is remotely honest is the one thing he tells Miss Honey and the social worker, which is, I understand rage. Yes, he does. And that's about the only insight I ever see in the man. He definitely is like your stereotypical grandiose uh, looking <laughs> narcissist and, and abuser. And um, yeah, narcissistic people love their scapegoat. They're always looking for one. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like when he gets the green hair, like immediately the first thing that comes like, what did you do to my hair? Like, granted, Matilda did, did create the green hair but that aside for a moment like it's just interesting that he doesn't he doesn't consider any other possibility like maybe I used the wrong product or maybe something else happened like immediately it's like what did you do and um, that's that's a constant thing like for childhood trauma survivors you you tend to be in trouble and feel like you're in trouble even when you don't do anything wrong like Matilda could have not been involved with the green hair at all and I feel like that would have come out of his mouth anyway Something interesting I found is that um, Agatha uh, Trunchbull, she thinks he's excellent at first. Like often we talk about how survivors see other survivors, but I feel like I don't hear a lot about like how narcissistic people like almost like see other narcissistic people and they either are like lifting each other up or like taking each other down. Like they can see that like the same traits on, on the other peeps. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but like I just think that it's so interesting that like Agatha sees him as excellent and, and he and he's proud of that too. Like he's like bragging about it. And it's like, of, of course, the one other abusive narcissistic person in the room is going to think you're excellent. Like you wouldn't see Miss Honey saying that about him. We'll put it that way. Playing again into that, how like the narcissistic people tend to like praise each other. Like he's praising how she is a winner of this hammer championship from many 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 years ago which narcissistic people tend to do that they tend to exaggerate their their achievements and you see trunchbull just milking the living heck out of the one championship she won ages ago and it gets exaggerated and brought up over and over and over again and um and of course she's gonna think he's excellent he's like praising her as this as this winner right so yeah, it's just, <laughs> Irony's not lost on me there. One thing that he did, and oh, that, that was used against me. <laughs> the, the book, that was such a cruel scene. And um, I remember one of my abusers, like, judging on that. It's like, see, like, look how he broke the book. Like, we love that you read. And um, yeah, it's definitely a very cruel man, uh, physically violent with Matilda and just, just disgusting all, all over. It's interesting how at the end, he stops calling her a boy the moment that Mrs. Honey comes into the picture offering to adopt her. It almost like kind of tells you that he knew what he was doing the entire time. And in a way, like at the end, even though like a part of you is relieved that they're not going to fight Miss Honey and, and 
in terms of the custody from Matilda, like they, they, they let her go and, and he, he lets go pretty quickly. And if I had to uh, compare between him and, and the mother, it seemed like for him it was going to be a little bit harder to let her go. He still fucking did. And, um, and that's, that's heartbreaking too. There's, there's, there's a heartbreak inherent in, in being let go that easily without, without a fight. Right off to Matilda's mother, Mrs. Wormwood. Oh my gosh, just fucking awful. Irresponsible during the pregnancy and complete denial about the pregnancy to begin with. Part of me, like, as I was, and this happens, like, right at the beginning of the movie. Part of me is like, oh my gosh, like, she probably drank and smoked and did all the things that you're not supposed to do when you're carrying a child inside of you for nine months. The amount of denial when she's having contractions, I mean, of course, this is a story, it's (laughs) not very realistic, right? But just, like, taking that in, like, wow. Like, just a part of me is like, it's, it really is a miracle this girl came out. Um, not only with all the limbs and all the stuff, but like, with so much courage and, and just so different from these people. Miss Wormwood is extremely self-centered. And she doesn't stand up for Matilda. She actually encourages the abuse. Like, she encourages Harry to be abusive to her. The woman is, uh, I would also categorize her as a very grandiose narcissist, like very into her looks, you know, very uh, over-exaggerating um, her qualities and, and just, just focused on her. I mean, if you want to embody self-centeredness, that's your character right there. Moving on to Miss Agatha Trunchbull. Trunchbull is your portrayal of an authority figure that abuses power. Rules apply to everyone but her. That's like a classic narcissistic play. Especially especially with children. Like, you know, that I think like with, with children it's 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 a thing for um, adults with, with these dynamics to um, yeah, to take take advantage of, of the rules and, and bend them uh, only to favor their positions. In case I didn't talk about this enough, you know, the the championship from 1959, you know, the trophies on the pedestal, she's still celebrating herself, still reliving, you know, completely stuck in this in this one one moment when she excelled at something. And not only as a way to prop herself up, but also to validate and legitimize her position, you know, every single day as a leader of the school. You know, the the school culture is it's a prison. This is not a school. This is a prison. And ironically, and this was also triggered for me, like um, middle school. Yes, it was middle school. So I went to this middle school that actually looked like a like a prison. Like it had bars, yo. I kid you not. There were so it was two two stories high, and the second floor. And I, I get it. Like maybe they didn't want a kid to like fall over accidentally. But it was just the way it was set up. Like it really looked like a prison, and we joked about that constantly. And I actually witnessed a lot of abuse in that school too. So it was just like yeah, a lot a lot a lot of mirror dynamics between uh, Matilda's school and and my my own school years. Trunchbull is just looking for a scapegoat at every corner. She um, even w- one of the portrayals of scapegoating that you see here that's pretty severe is using somebody's pigtails like Amanda's pigtails like she's upset looking for a scapegoat and somebody wearing pigtails became a target of the rage. 
just absolutely ridiculous. And I, I think that's the point of the book. Like, they make it so ridiculous, but in reality, that's really how these people operate. You'll you be surprised at the at the stuff they hang on to to be able to regulate themselves and release all the all the shame and all the dysregulation they get. Right along with that scene with the pigtails, like, it goes back to something Dr. Ramani says constantly, which is, you can't win. Like, Matilda was able to protect Nigel from Chokey and literally the hairstyle of another student was used to regulate this woman because she was going to blow the lid anyway. Like, there was no, nobody was ever going to win there. Trunchbull is a cauldron of jealousy. She resented the stepsister's success and the love she had found in her family. And this is something that narcissistic people do too, like using the law to get her way. She pays for all these things for this, uh, for this show, and including the publicity, the toilet facilities. And of course, she's got this laundry list of things and is very quick to demand that the feat is performed even though the stepsister is pregnant, even though it's dangerous. And I think this is something that I've heard Romani talk about if not Patrick, like a survivor will set some boundaries and then the abuser sends them a bill for everything they've ever did down to the diapers, asking for the money back. Like it's, it's just ridiculous stuff. Another tactic that Trunchbull uses, which I fucking hate, is making it appear like there is a choice, but there is no choice. Like when she's talking to Bruce and she's like, admit guilt, I'm going to punish you. Call me a liar, I'm going to punish you. Like there is no way out of the punishment which as a child that feels so helpless because you feel like there's nothing you can do to avoid the ultimate harmful outcome another way that trunchbull exerts control on the students is through the camera system there's no privacy she's got cameras on every corner and is constantly monitoring it looking for someone misbehaving looking for a scapegoat looking for something you almost have like confirmation bias going on, right? Because if you're expecting someone to misbehave and you're pushing them to the brink, eventually they're going to end up making a mistake at one point and that's going to be their, their demise. And it's just so unfair. And quite frankly, like it's a bit of a trigger for me too, like the lack of privacy. And it's just a disgusting tactic. Another tactic that Trunchbull uses is not allowing fun to be a part of the school culture. And I've heard Patrick Tehan talk about this, like kid, the concept of kids not being allowed to be kids. It is almost like misbehaving to act your actual age, like act developmentally like a child that is X years old. And extremely abusive to say the least. And as you can already tell, Trunchbull got the most notes here because she's just so absolutely detestable. And um, yeah, I, she really captures the dynamics of, of a full-blown abuser and bully. Agatha makes fun of people, like even adults. She's making fun of Jenny stuttering, which quite frankly to me, it looked like a nervous trauma response. For Jenny to go stand up and like voice her opinion to her abuser, because Agatha is Jenny's abuser too. Like, of course you're stuttering. Of course you're having trouble with your words. Like, you're not, you're not safe. And think about it this way, and this, I feel like this is hitting me a little bit as I'm talking about this now. If your brain is preoccupied with, oh my gosh, I'm in danger. Oh my gosh, if you keep talking, she's going to get more pissed off. Oh, shoot, she's looking pretty pissed off. Stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. How the hell are you going to get a sentence out? Think about that. 
If you are a survivor and you've developed anxiety, your brain is going a million miles an hour and it's really hard to get a complete sentence out. And let me tell you how I know that because that happens to me. I totally, actually I was stuttering as I was recording that line and I, <laughs> I did a few takes before I got it right. And I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, and if I really think about it, I definitely stuttered as a kid, but not all the time. And I don't even do it that much now. But if I am in a situation where I feel like if I don't talk fast enough, the other person is not going to let me talk again, I will start stuttering. If I am in a situation where I am with a person that I perceive as dangerous, I start stuttering. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do think... I'm not saying that stuttering is a trauma response like 100% of the time, but I do think that it is a thing with child trauma survivors. And especially if you if you have a, a pattern or history where you only notice stuttering becoming activated in certain occasions, I invite you to look into that. I invite you to explore it and not dismiss it as just like a fluke. Like it might mean something. And in my case, I know it definitely does. And with Jenny, I would I would put money that it did too. That's another thing too. Like when you get mocked from stuttering, it makes it worse. And that's something that bullies do. They mock other people even for for things that the other person doesn't have any control of. Like seriously, nobody chooses to stutter. Unless you're an actor that's actually supposed to be purposely stuttering as part of your character yeah no not usually something somebody would be doing on purpose especially in front of someone who who's gonna mock you for it one thing i really want to make sure i say is how how lazy she is transpool is lazy she has these kids doing this ridiculous obstacle course in mud in the middle of the rain which by the way is dangerous that should have been shut down immediately but somehow it's happening and of course do you see her out there in the mud being miserable with the kids no, she is in a golf cart. How convenient, huh? During one of her songs, she says, imagine a world with no children. It's almost like she forgets that she was a kid once too. Tronchbo gives out this, and again, it's like, it goes back to being like narcissistic, right? You know, there's this mask of, I am this powerful, strong, quote unquote, the best athlete out there. And Tronchbo becomes a part with this little newt like terrified of the newt and granted i don't want to judge someone who has a phobia of of of, of newts i got my phobia of, of spiders and all sorts of crawlies and they might be as tiny as they come and i i fall apart too just the irony that she's bullying and stepping down on these kids on a daily basis giving out this powerful almighty image let me actually put it this way if she saw a kid being terrified of a little newt, she would judge that kid to high hell and back. But because it's her, it doesn't apply to her. All of a sudden, she still gets to keep this facade of being strong and powerful while being hypocritical and being scared. And for her, it's allowed, like it's okay for me to be scared and terrified, but not for everybody else. Like that's that's what I have a problem with. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the newt phobia it's with just how hypocritical this 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 woman is and i want to point out also how these people tend to have these patterns right it's not just with one person like she like with her stepsister she whips out the bill of all the stuff she has paid for to force her and the husband to do the feed for the for the circus 
And she does the same thing to Jenny. Once Jenny became an adult, um, Jenny tells Matilda that Agatha presented her with the bill for every tea bag, gas bill, tin of beans. I mean, everything that she ever paid for. And by the way, that's a form of financial abuse. And it's just not lost on me how, like, it was cool to adopt a kid when you wanted the house and to take their money, right? But when it came to the investment and, you know, the the cost of having a child, like, what what raising a child comes with, that, no, wait, wait, no, I don't, I don't want to sign up for that. Like, it's just absolutely mind, mind-blowing. And Trunchbull should have not been in charge of any children whatsoever or animals, like, nothing. Trunchbull... Trunchbull needs to get some serious therapy and yeah, they should not be responsible for another human being. Absolutely not. How the Trunchbull loves to win. And if there's any award she's going to win from me that she's not going to be able to shake off, it is that she is the most abusive person in the story and definitely the malignant narcissist in my opinion. Now enough of the Trunchbull. I feel like I, I feel exhausted alone just, just talking about this awful person. Now moving on to Mrs. Phelps, uh, I'm going to briefly address her because there were two very important things that I loved about this character and what, what Mrs. Phelps represents. Mrs. Phelps is the first person in the story who hears Matilda. She listens to the stories and that's any child's dream to be seen and heard. And Mrs. Phelps picks up on something going on with Matilda. Even though Matilda is very good at hiding it, uh, you can tell there are moments when Mrs. Phelps uh, does get concerned. And at one point she goes, you know, she says, let's call the police. And she, one of my favorite quotes from her is, the best way to deal with a bully is to tell someone. They thrive on silence. And she does suggest telling a teacher, which in this case, Miss Honey, is a good option. But uh, she does also say, or better still, the headmistress. And sadly, the headmistress is extremely abusive. So like, how, how do you report the headmistress to herself, right? That's a reality for a lot of survivors. Like the, the person that has the power or the authority you know, to receive a report of abuse happens to be the abuser. Like, what do you do in that situation? And it's, it's, it's a tough call. Now, about Miss Honey, Miss Jenny Honey is uh, not only a great teacher in the story, she's also a survivor. And something that I picked up from the movie and that I've experienced myself is that experience of survivor seeing survivors. Like earlier, I was talking about how like the narcissistic people in the story, like Matilda's dad and the headmistress, like they have this like fascination with each other and with their really honestly like what they're admiring in each other is their capacity to be such horrendous people essentially and ironically they end up like hating each other like once the once uh, Matilda's dad sells a pretty much a lemon car to the headmistress to to the trunch bowl you know then she flips it to to complete hate and um that's usually how it goes with with toxic people like that they're just you know it's it's really a flip of the coin now with survivors we really do see each other. It's 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 uncanny, and it I I find myself often um, in in a room with people, and I can I can pick up the survivor in the room, and I want to say that they can pick up um, they can pick up that I am the survivor too, and there's a camaraderie there, and I will say I I 
I am very appreciative that I live in a time where I can find survivors um, that are not like even the ones that are not physically close to me. Like it's it is a privilege to be able to have access to people that are far away that that have not only shared a similar experience, but that are doing the healing work. But still, it's hard, even even with finding other survivors, you know, finding a fellow survivor doesn't necessarily mean that you found your saving grace. Like there are survivors out there that are abusive and there are survivors out there who are not doing their healing. And sadly, there's also survivors who are still very blind to it. They're justifying and excusing bad behavior. And that hurts, too, especially if you're trying to see things clearly. But we do find each other. And, and in Matilda's case, you know, Ms. Ms. Jenny and Matilda connecting and finding each other, it, it becomes a, a healing, a, a healing relationship for both of them. Another thing that I love about Ms. Jenny is how she models um, being attuned to a child. Uh, one of her students, Nigel, in one of the scenes, like he's having, it, it kind of looks like a bit of a, of a panic attack. And she co-regulates with the student and that's so important like mirroring that emotion like something that I feel like for for a long time like especially when I was growing up and I would see it around like in a, in a lot of places it would be this um, invalidation of a child's emotion and experience and almost like stop it like a lot of stop 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 and like waving the the bunny in front of them and get, getting them to just kick out of the tough emotions instead of mirroring and honoring that you know what they're experiencing is really hard and, and like for a moment like take in how when a child is tiny you know they're still learning language it's hard for them to express what's going on they're they they're still developing and you imagine like experiencing a hard emotion like even as an adult now I'm in my mid-30s and when I am feeling something really painful it hurts and it's hard to express it can you imagine being five like that's that's a scary experience or it can be and to have an adult just stop for a moment and like mirror and hold space for what you're feeling and and help you help you try to communicate that like gosh can can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine a world where that becomes the norm and gosh do I want to live in a world like that and I and I hope I hope the trend continues in in that direction I feel like a lot of the parenting content I am seeing um seeing out there that's starting to to become a little bit more popular is, you know, the emphasis on the emotions, you know, emotions cards so the kids can learn how to name emotions. And gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. I please keep it coming. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on board for that trend. One thing that uh, breaks my heart a little bit about Jenny is, you know, Jenny's world gets really small. And uh, this is something I was talking to Gabrielle Marchant about when, when we did the interview. If, if you have not seen those episodes, I invite you to check them out. And um, one thing that Gabrielle was talking about during our interview is the concept of your world gets really small. Like if, if we are all big houses, like we end up like in a corner of the house. Trauma can make your world very small. And Jenny's world is tiny she lives in the smallest home and for her like that's enough for her and it's I, I feel like it's often true like as survivors like we learn to make do with that little corner that little space that that we inhabit and and we can very easily just say like ah oh, whatever I don't need the, the rest of the house but 
doesn't she deserve the house? <laughs> doesn't she deserve her father's home, her family's inheritance? And so do we. Another thing I want to point out is, you know, it's, it's really not about having a, a, a physical mansion, like, you know, we're um, completely talking metaphor here. But one thing that I, I will say, um, a survivor that is no longer in the class of an abuser will be happy, like way happier in a humble little shed than living in a castle with an abusive person. And in this movie, you see it. You know, Jenny is the happiest when she, when she finally moves away from from being uh, with the Trunchbull. Even though I will say, like, she's still working for the Trunchbull, which is quite tragic. But and spoiler alert, she she does defeat the Trunchbull. Like they all defeat the Trunchbull, and she leaves. And Jenny does end up in her rightful home. So so she does get her inheritance back, which I I love. The last thing I will say with Jenny is. Um, and this is really hard to watch, like Agatha Trunchbull devalues her constantly calling her too soft and too peachy. And I feel like a lot of us have heard something along those lines, like being too sweet or being too nice or being too this or being too that. And quite frankly, to me, like, you know, those qualities that the Trunchbull criticizes in her and, and mocks her for, those are the most beautiful qualities about Jenny. I think that her softness, her her kindness, her attunement to those kids and, and the love for what she does and, and how committed she is to, to shaping those minds in a beautiful way. Like, that's her best quality. Uh, sure, a malignant narcissist might, might see that as a weakness, but to me, that makes her the hero of the story. Now, I can't do Matilda without mentioning Bruce and this quintessential scene with the chocolate cake. Oh my gosh. I will say uh, the concept of seeing a child being uh, force-fed like that is it's a bit of a trigger for me, and that's, that's a story for another day. Um, but I, there's a few things that I do want to point out from, from that sequence. And one of them is how Agatha tells him, I'll tell you when you're full. And that's a really nasty tactic that's really showing the kid to not trust his body and his intuition. And I feel like that's that's big with abusers of children. You know, they they really impose their perception on the child and to the point where the kid doesn't learn how to trust themselves. And uh, that takes a lot to recover from. One thing that I really dislike about the scene is that Trunchbull never meant for Bruce to get out of the punishment. Like, even though the the way she frames the whole thing is like she basically presents this impossible feat like we're you know just for a moment this is a fictional story like in real life it, I don't think any child would have been able to finish that massive absurd cake but um Trunchbull sets up Bruce to fail she really does like you know he was always going to go to Chokey and and the way you know that's true is because he actually eats the thing and she still puts him in the chokey. Like, and that's that's a big thing. Like, you feel like you can't win. Like, there's nothing you can do that can save you from the punishment. And there's nothing more helpless than to realize that, especially as a kid. And those tactics worked on Bruce. Like, for a while, he was very scared to rebel. Like, when everybody else was starting to wake up, Bruce was terrified and for a very good reason 
But one thing that I love is when he finally revolts, when he finally feels safe enough to rebel as well. Now, as we begin to wrap up this discussion, I want to talk about the students as a whole, the student body. Agatha takes down the playground um, in revenge for, for the chokey being destroyed. And abusive people, narcissistic people, like toxic people, you know, you, you use the label that that applies in your situation. They don't like other people to be having fun, especially if they're not. So like, you know, that's it kind of goes back to that. Like, you know, she she lost a chokey. And, and she's going to, to retaliate like that. And abusers, abusers are notorious for doing that. Now, these kids get more courageous as the story goes on. And they find power in, in numbers. You know, and when you only have one chokey, you know, you can't put all of them if they're misspelling words in, in the chokies. Now, of course, Agatha, she tends to, she tends to give this appearance. And, and often she's like a few steps ahead of the kids. I mean... It, Again, we're, we're talking an adult, like an adult mind with, with resources and kids that have a lot of limitations because they're, they're kids. And even though Agatha has like all these other chokies um, lined up, it was almost like she was anticipating that something like this was going to happen. Now, one thing about the, the students as a whole that I want to point out is, um, and this is something that I recently uh, realized, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, pointed this out to me and I never saw it this way and now I can't unsee it. Um, it's the concept of people that loathe children. And when I say loathe children, like it is that person, and I feel like we have all heard that person at one point or another. It's that adult that says something along the lines of like, I hate children and they mean it. They really have contempt for children and almost in a scary way. And I never saw it as age discrimination but it totally is like, think about that. That's a whole group of people. And based on their age, they're getting discriminated against. They're getting loathed. And, and there's already this bias about, about the kids, right? Because, because they're young. And this assumption that kids are all these awful things. And to me, it's like, I, I, I can't compute quite how you get there. Um, and it, and I, I want to make it clear, like, this is not about not wanting to have kids. Like, quite frankly, I vacillated, like there was a point in my 20s when I really wanted to have kids. And in my 30s, I feel like that keeps decreasing. And I'm not sure that I want to have kids anymore. Um, I'm kind of like at a point in my life right now where like, maybe if I find the right person, I'll, I'll, I'll reconsider it again. But, um, but I don't loathe children. I, I adore kids. Like I am, I'm actually one of those people that when I'm in the room, um, and I've had people make fun of me for this and I, I, I don't know why they're making fun of me, but I really enjoy kids. Like I am that adult in the room that will get on the floor and start playing with the kids. And I am that adult that goes to the playground and I, 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 I get in there. I'm, I'm playing with the kids hide and seek and I'm running around and I'm definitely not in shape for that these days. But, um, but in the past, I've, I've been that person and I, I adore children. I think they're wonderful and they're important. That's, I mean, that's the next generation, y'all. Like th those kids are going to have an impact. They're going to be around for a, a lot longer than I am. And it's important to honor them. And I feel like if there's anything that I want to drive home in this discussion is how important it is to protect children, how crucial it is to understand 
and and like like really turn on that empathy like like if you're an adult listening to this at one point you were a child too like we were all children we were all tiny that tiny ones and it's a, it's a scary thing to be a kid you know you're you're small adults seem like giants around you and when some confusing stuff is going down it's it's scary and kids need support and they need patience and they need some empathy for crying out loud you know it's kids are not supposed to be little mini adults and and now when I see a kid that's like way ahead of their age quite frankly like it makes me wonder like why why is this kid like acting like a little adult what's going on in there like I I used to I used to feel like it was a compliment to be called an old soul like that's something I've people have called me since I was little because I I really was an old soul I was acting like a little adult as a kid and now I'm like oh (laughs) actually I should have been ringing a a lot of bells back then but I now that I know a little bit better I I definitely try to keep an eye for stuff like that when I see children around me and and even if the interaction is like a short interaction if I am around a kid I'll, I'll try to have an impact on them and and be a mirror and and just gosh give them some freaking love because they deserve it they deserve the whole thing now the last thing i want to talk about is the concept of chosen family which has been an important thing in my life and um i i did happen to interview one of the members of my chosen family uh if you have not heard the interview with june uh part one and part two are are out there and uh, I invite you to give a listen to those episodes too because chosen family really is important and to quote June it, it, it is its own thing and Matilda and Miss Honey become chosen family at the end of the story and something that I love is that they say I do and it, it kind of goes like it almost like I feel like it's making like a reference to like the, the vows, like the concept of like, you know, in when you're doing your vows, like in a marriage, like you're, you're choosing to be with that person and they do the same thing in this family environment, like they choose to be with each other. And even when Matilda at this point has chosen Miss Honey, Miss Honey has chosen her, her biological family is letting go of her and they're driving away. Something that really broke my heart is that Matilda went after them. Like, for a moment, she ran. She ran to the road, and she saw the truck drive off. And it was like that moment where, like, to me, it represented the moment when it sunk in. Dang, they're driving away. And it's almost like that freak-out moment that you get. And, and then we get to see her start a new life in, in her new chosen family. Even in Matilda's case, with as horrendous as her parents were, like, it, and it really does hurt when when they just drive away, you know, in, in this story. Like, it, it was sad to see that. And, and this is even with somebody like Miss Honey already, like, you know, re- ready to take her in. And, yeah, I, I want to honor for a moment for any of you listening, you know, if, if, you've had a similar situation where you're not involved with your family right now or you haven't been for a while and if you're still feeling that pain I I, I want to honor that for a moment and say you know you're not making it up and it does hurt and I really wish for you to find chosen family and, and new people in your life that can bring you joy and that can give you the love that you deserve to have Thank you.
In this week's healing invitation, I want to offer you an exercise. Do you have a bully in your life? It can be a bully from the past. Usually with bullies, we don't get to tell them face to face how they make us feel and how what they did can impact us. Imagine you get the opportunity to tell that bully everything you can't in real life. What would you tell them? You can imagine saying it to them. You can write them a letter, read it out loud, and then destroy it. I don't recommend sending it because this is not about them. This is about us and getting a chance to release some of the things that might be stuck inside of us. The thing with the nervous system is that it doesn't know the difference between imagining it and experiencing it in real life. And we can take advantage of that. You might be surprised to see what comes out as you think about this or write it down. We don't need the bullies to sit there quietly in front of us, hearing us out and signing off on our lives. The time is here and you can slowly take your power back. And yes, saying it to an imaginary version of your bully does count. Please let me know how this week's healing invitation goes if you choose to to accept it. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can help support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or the platform you are using to listen. Share this episode with anyone you can think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram with the handle at Hello Trauma Brain. Subscribe to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. No worries. All links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found this episode helpful. I wish you the best as you revolt against your bullies. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me. I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.